Hi, I'm Joel. And I'm Kishan. And this is Tea for Two. This is our BFF podcast where we talk about anything from science to popular culture, the arts, and life in Singapore. It's me, Joel, a playwright and performer. And it's me, Kishan, a science educator. And welcome back to T42. It's our best friend podcast where we talk about whatever the Facebook, Facebook we want. Mm, Facebook. Actually, like, am over Facebook. Mm. Completely over Why, it. Why? Uh? I, like, I just feel like it's a bulletin board for things that I don't care about anymore. You know really? I mean? mm. It's and still the place I go to to get all my news. Yeah, you know? and don't you Almost think, everything. Don't, don't you think it's a problem, Kishan? I guess, but I mean, it's the place where I click on, click on to go to like different sites, right? Like New York Times, like Guardian. Oh, really? Like, yeah. Because they're all on it because I follow them on Facebook and so they appear on Facebook. So it becomes like a news feed. My Facebook feed is very newsy. No, like, I find Facebook very obyang nowadays. Why? Yeah, it's just like... It's very old people. I never wanted to be a person to say this because like when I first heard that the young kids were saying Facebook is for old people I felt very slighted because Same. I used to be more active on but Facebook but you know what I'm leaning in yeah but then now I look back <laughs> on my own Facebook activity right and it's like wow wow Joe you really used to write these fucking essays like, yeah, like, very long. so my ex Joe right who's like six, like nine years younger than me was just like Joe mm. why why do you write so much on Facebook in a yeah, because they don't have the attention yeah. span for this one I mean that aside but also just like I think writing long things is a bit passe now lah, huh? is know? it though yeah now if you can't write it's like Tweets are in, you know, uh, like I short see. TikTok videos I'm are sorry, in. I find tweets, Instagram photos. I never stories. got on Twitter because I find tweets very problematic to squeeze your entire thought so succinctly in what? Is it 160? No, no. So I used to think this. I, I think it's problematic. I, I used to think this about Twitter, but now, right, I understand that there is an art to writing a good tweet. You know, like a good tweet, right, is like an art form. No, I think, and, and that makes it very clickbaity. Ah, yeah, yeah. It, no, I don't not, like no, it's it. it's not clickbaity, it's clickish. So like people who are very good on Twitter and who have huge followings on Twitter have like a way of expressing themselves. Um, mm. That can be a bit irritating also. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it could yeah. be great at me. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I deleted Facebook from my phone. Well, well done. Which has me- immeasurably improved my life. Very mature of you. Yeah, now I just don't have access to this like fetid, like bulletin board anymore. Correct. Yeah. Correct and I also like place less importance on my opinions but you know what maybe it's because we have this podcast now right so I have another way of blasting out my un- yeah. <laughs> my unsolicited <laughs> opinions <laughs> yeah just like this is it right? Did anybody this ask is it. no <laughs> I should cleanse the air how are you Kishan oh I've been good I've been exceptionally good after hearing that Shing Siong donated $200,000 to the Gaza humanitarian yeah. efforts also, you numer- know what new- I knew yeah. we picked the I right know we supermarket the, I know we are backing we the right we are, we are in the right corner we with this you, one we are backing the right corner we with love this one Shing Siong if you're listening, right, well done. Yeah, well done. Numerous people tagged us, right? But I think we've, be- <laughs> I think we've become kind of inextricably associated yeah, on with the, On the Shing Siong yeah. Insta- Instagram page, people, so many people tagged, like, I think, okay, not so many, like, a like, few. Actually, like. it was two. <laughs> it was it two? Okay, no, like, I love, people I love, tagged I love us. I overstating our importance. <laughs> you know, you got, correct, to, you, got to, you got to say it yeah. and will it to make it. So many people tagged Fake us. Fake it till you make it. It's like, <laughs> whole, our entire fan base tagged us on, like, that news. <laughs> no, but it's amazing to hear that, like, they're open about the support for the Gaza. Also, um, $200,000. Is no small sum, eh? No, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. Like, yeah. wow. So it's like if they're not giving us that money, I'm glad that it's going to Correct. the Gaza cause. That's why they say we never get lah. Yeah. They have to prioritize. Mm. Mm. Alrighty, it's time for our first segment of the day. Are you home, Shirley? It's the segment in which we discuss an aspect of life in Singapore that either fascinates or horrifies us very often. Both! Then what's up for the chopping block today, Kishen? Today we're going to talk about... Mother Mother Tongue! Tongue. Mm. 
Everybody's favorite mother tongue. My mother's tongue is passive aggression. <laughs> she does not chew like she's not passive aggressive. She's just full out aggressive. Oh, mine is passive aggressive. It's but anyway, <laughs> uh, anyway, let's not talk about our mothers. So, what is your mother tongue? That is a complicated question. It is. Isn't it's a it? very complicated question indeed. I would say my mother tongue is um <laughs> Thai. <laughs> it recently has come to light, but my great grandmother was Thai. Okay, long. Ah, so I have some Thai blood. Okay. Sawadika. <laughs> but that's not, in fact, my um. That's not that is not your mother tongue, but I don't know. It's tricky. I would say that, like, for me, it's language I gr- is the non-English language mm. I grew up hearing the most as a child, right? And mm. that would actually be Cantonese for me. See, yeah, I yeah. have I have Chinese friends as well, right? Who have who's who like go through Chinese lessons or Mandarin lessons in school, and they actually come up to me like, actually, it's not my mother tongue. My mother mm. tongue is Cantonese. I speak Cantonese at home. I yeah, yeah, communicate yeah. with my grandparents in yeah. Cantonese, and I know Cantonese a lot better than I know Mandarin. I go like, you know what? This is a very legitimate point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But truth be told, it's I identify with Cantonese more. On a, on a spiritual level Than anything mm. I don't really speak it You know what well. And that's yeah. your mother tongue The yeah. fact that you can identify With it on, in, in your bones yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, That yeah. is truly your mother tongue Yeah, yeah. So that's why I think it is But obviously It's You know By, by official standards In Singapore It's Chinese It's Mandarin Chinese It's like. Mandarin Chinese yeah. Because there are only like Four official ah, uh, No mother. there are Three official mother tongues Taught in schools mm. Right uh, It's Mandarin mm. Malay And Tamil Yeah And only recently They've opened up to Non-Tamil Indian languages NTILs For sure well, I love that it's an acronym for yeah, everything. It's called, uh, yeah, and then you have to go like to some other schools to learn it and it's like Hindi, Gujarati, Punjabi, yeah, yeah, yeah. all these other things. Yeah. So for me, mother tongue is very complicated because growing up, uh, being a non-Tamil Indian language speaker in mm. Singapore, Hindi speaker, Punjabi speaker. Say this, that 50 times. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, it, was, it was never taught in school. I think I mentioned this before. It was never taught in school. So I had to take yeah, yeah. Malay. And so when people ask me what's my mother tongue, I obviously like, uh, I study Malay in school. Mm. So I would just say it like that. As an answer But, but that's what they're asking Yeah but really. if I asked you now What is your mother tongue What would you say I would say Hindi and Punjabi Because that to me Is a, also a very complicated question mm. Because from my father's side It's Hindi mostly yeah, yeah. And my on my mother's side It's Punjabi right. So it's like Okay if, if mother tongue Means what your parents speak This are what my parents speak like. Yeah I would also then Offer Hainanese As my other mother tongue Because it's the my The language that my dad Spoke growing up Which actually has Kind of fallen out Of his mouth in a way It's very sad Because it's not A widely spoken uh, Chinese language here mm. outside of the Chinese community mm. and you know the Chinese community statistically is quite small compared to, to many of you know compared sure, to the like other the Hokkien one yeah, yeah, compared yeah, to the yeah. other Cantonese. language groups yep. um, he's like he, admit, he he admits that his grasp of Hainanese has dropped over the years and like you know I once re- I once sat down for lack of use is it? from lack of use like mm. any any tongue that you don't use you wither and uh, drop out absolutely mouth, right? yeah so like it, there was a point there was once I was writing a play and I wanted to translate some lines into Hainanese right and then he had some difficulty with it which made me very oh, sad yeah. oh yeah. that it's very sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Hainanese is a, and then like the only phrase of Hainanese I know is Papa Borusu, which is Papa's not at home. Oh, I think I, I mentioned yeah, this on you, the show you, before. It's where, a very like, heartbreaking Because my grandmother thing. would yeah. used to call and then like I had no idea what to say to her except oh, Papa's not at home because hmm. that's who she wanted to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, that's a bit heartbreaking. But I mean, in the context of Singapore, when we say mother tongue, we usually think of school. Yeah. Right? Because it feels like this is where the phrase originates for many of us. Yeah. So, and how was your experience of mother tongue in school? Very bad. Yeah, so yeah. Like, like all other like little Chinese boys across the island, I was made to learn <laughs> like Mandarin Chinese la. I, I still have stressed dreams about yeah? Chinese class from 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 my school days. Good. So from like from I think kindergarten onwards, right? They start teaching you Chinese. Um, yeah, and I I think I remember growing up at a time when like everybody learned Chinese in kindergarten, even if they were non Chinese, because oh. they didn't teach Malay or Tamil. 
in kindergarten. In no the kindergarten, way, really? Because was, yeah, they didn't have enough teachers on hand. Oh. All, all the teachers were Chinese. I think I, I had a Malay kindergarten teacher. Ah, oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, not, not a great experience because like I grew up speaking very little. My, my parents, neither of my parents speaks Mandarin. In a in a in a big way at all, mm. at home. in a very polished manner, lah. At all, yeah. Like they speak Cantonese to each other, if anything. Yeah. Or English. Oh, I've never um, heard your parents speak mo- Cantonese to yeah, each other. Yeah, my my grandmother is a very fluent Mandarin speaker, but I never spent much time with her. Mm. My mom's mom. Uh, very you know Mandarin is just not a language that was spoken in my family and so I when see. I was like f- and you know I grew up like this very falala English speaking fairy fairy baby like baby, I think that's the official ba- definition ba- uh. yeah English speaking falala, falala English fairy falala baby <laughs> faggot right <laughs> who could they could talk circles around people's heads in English yeah I was so fucking irritating mm. yeah but you know I think what made Chinese language class so difficult in school was this assumption that because you're Chinese you should a be able to speak it be feel duty bound to speak it so ah. there was a lot of this like yeah. um, there's a lot of this kind of like uh, expectation that mm. as a chi- as an ethnically Chinese person mm. you should um, be you should be ashamed not to speak Mandarin Chinese mm. which I, I you because know it's your mother because tongue. it's your mother tongue yeah, and yeah. it's the thing or and it's the thing that connects you to the motherland or whatever right and mm. and so I felt a lot of like I feel very alienated from it but also very pressurized by it right um, and I felt like a bad Chinese I think person. a lot mm. a lot of Singaporean kids felt that way even yeah. now I think yeah. more so now because I think people are so far removed from their mother tongue we're now even, we're, we're half a generation removed further yeah. further further along right? exactly yeah. so people really do feel that way there's a very there's a very real stress with mother tongue for me it's it's the same thing. Like I would go to mother tongue class and I would feel freaking stressed out because firstly I mean for th- you it's very different. This la, is not yeah. my mother tongue. You're not and even you're not even ethnically Malay. Right? Yeah, yeah, but I, I felt all that pressure as well. Like this is your mother tongue. Mm. You have to speak it. Then I'll go like ah chengu, this is not my mother tongue. <laughs> you know, but but I will do my best. Yeah. You know, and then I, I will learn to speak it. But it was very there was a real pressure to want to to want to meet that the, the, the same measure as all the other Malay boys. You know, mm. to want to be able to also be able to do it. Because then I just put it on myself, lah. You yeah. know, like oh, I must be able to do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. do this. There was a real pressure there. But for me, what was uh, a little bit more pressurizing was the moral aspect to it. So in mm. primary school, uh, I think mother tongue was taught alongside um, moral, moral education. Yeah, they call it moral education. Right? Yeah, in in uh, in Malay class in primary school, it was called uh, it was with a book called Rakyat uh, Yang Baik, which means good citizens, right? Good citizens, which is good the nation. same. Yeah, yeah. In, in the Chinese word is Hao Gong Ming, which is good citizen. Yeah, yeah. So like Malay classes had the language component, also this moral component, and when we took out the th- those moral textbooks, right? It, I don't. It was. It so I mean, what was it? It was like Hao Gong Ming and uh, what. Rakyat yang baik. Ah, uh, rakyat yang baik. Mm. It was meant to teach you how to be an upstanding citizen. That was how it. to do the right thing. Yeah. I'm curious about this intersection, right? I wonder if it's because they're trying to like add value add to the learning of mother tongue, so that it's not just this abstract language, but something that's tied to community. Yeah, and for sure. To, yeah, so I think maybe that was the the idea behind it, right? Because maybe there was a, a recognition at the time that something about our language policies were a little artificial. A, a little you know like um, bo- forced uh, forced mm. right and that the only way to kind of add a human quality to it was to add this moral dimension maybe it. but I guess it was also it also seemed like, seemed like a very natural way to teach moral education because usually with language comes religion and religion and moral because that was for me or, uh, or culture uh, culture that yeah. was for me for Malay classes because the teacher would teach the, the, the moral education aspect together with segments of Islam mm. she would bring it in and go like oh the Quran says this I go like oh very interesting mm. oh I, I, I vaguely remember this that like um, apart from learning moral education in Chinese right within the Chinese curriculum a lot of the, the stories that we were made to read and that we used to teach 
uh, vocabulary and stuff like that had very like um had moralistic undertones as well as in, in in so like they were fables or parables or, Confucian? or legends you know Chinese you know cultural oh. uh, you know all these like Chinese culture legends or whatever that were used to impart like uh, uh, some sort of moral at the end yeah moral, mo- morality about the family or like of community course, yeah. so I mean I've, oh, I've grown up always kind of feeling that to my ear at least Chinese has a very didactic and moralistic Sound to it Mandarin Chinese specifically mm. And there's something Like to, to this day There's something kind of Pompous about the language That I think has ah. to do With this quality The way I learned it Because of the moral aspect That was beaten down Our heads with Yeah and it's like I think I It's, it's so many things right The fact that Like I said earlier We were we were made to feel bad for not being good at it or having no interest in yep. it. When actually, and when actually, when I look back at it now, there's no reason why I should have been interested in it because it was like a, a language that I had no context, very little mm. context for speaking, but that was f- literally forced down my throat. Yep. Right. Uh, and then also the way it was taught had this kind of like baseline assumption that we all. We, we could all do it yeah, and that correct. we were all on the same level. Yeah, it was not some terrible medicine. La. It really, no, it really but, felt but like it's that. like the way Chinese is taught is very, I guess it might be different, right? Because it's a very, it's a, it's a language that has like, you got to memorize like 5 million characters or whatever. It's a difficult language to learn. Um, and it's, it's, a lot of it was like learned by rote memorization. Yeah. And, mm. you know, like that was my primary experience of learning Chinese. Very traumatic. Was, uh. It was, yeah, it was mostly like, um, memorizing things without actually knowing like um, the, the the linguistic context or whatever mm. for it, and then feeling bad that I I couldn't I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it, it. Yeah. and then like seeing my friends who were so good at Chinese because they had they came from Chinese speaking families, right? Just like close by, right? It made yeah. me feel very like ay, yeah, that's like, stupid, right? Yeah, yeah and I then know, the teachers I would pick on you especially because they wanted to make sure you you were learning, right? So yeah. like I would used to it's dr- very pressurizing. Yeah, I used to dread. I'll sit in class, Chinese class, and dread hearing my name called. Oh my god, out. talking about this is yeah. making me anxious. Oh god, I'm yeah. a bit sweaty, really. Yeah, <laughs> because like, this is this was ex- my exact experience in Malay class, but for different reasons, like because it's just not my culture, lah. Uh, yeah, all the Malay boys who spoke Malay at home, yeah. Could understand the chikgu like just like that, you know the vocab. They had the vocabulary, and my yeah. issue was that I just did not have the vocabulary. I I now really regret, really regret not, ha- not learning um Chinese to a higher standard. Oh, same. Yeah, I really regret that my Chinese language ability is as shit as it is because mm. like I, I I I now as an adult I do kind of see oh there's something interesting about being giving having access to um the the country where my ancestors came from. Yep. Um and having access to you know the culture in ways beyond just like uh the language but also food yeah. and and history and stuff like that right I I don't because like I can't read I can't read it. I can't understand a yeah. lot of it. I mean, my Chinese is bad, but I can understand, you know, in, enough of it to get by yeah. if I were thrown into a street, right? But still, in a way that, like, won't get me that far. It's still mortifying. Yeah, la. I could maybe order food, right? But then not be able to call an ambulance when I get food poisoning. Actually, in primary school, I found... Like uh, Chinese class a lot more fun and interesting. It might, have, it might have had to do with the teachers I had, who were primarily Singaporeans. But when I went to secondary school, for some reason, right, all the China, all the Chinese teachers were from China. Oh, yeah, and it was like I thought. I mean, first of all, I really think that like Chinese as it's form, formal Chinese as it's spoken in Singapore, formal formal Mandarin Chinese as it's spoken in Singapore has very little to do with like the way 
Mandarin Chinese is spoken quite generally. It's very right, very formal. It's the very, colloquial yeah, way of speaking Mandarin. Yeah, la. it's very. It's kind of like it. I, I feel like it exists at a remove from. Um, from 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 local culture, right? Right. And I mean, this is like what we talk about when we say English. Right? It's like basic selecto English. Ah, it's like that. Right? It's like, yeah, yeah. There's something so so. I feel I think like when I was suddenly taught by these mainland Chinese people, right? Who you know were you know various degrees of nice and not nice, right? <laughs> there was something about their approach to the language that felt very um alien to me and it was very ah. stressful because I literally did not understand what they were saying. Was it a cultural thing? It was the accent, it was the culture and it was also like the anger at which they came. Because they, they probably so pissed it. off that you yeah, guys cannot I even could, I could sense Mandarin. this very baseline anger and disgust from many of my teachers for being so bad at the language. Right. And they were the fo- on the forefront of that kind of like rhetoric about ah. you, you are Chinese you should be ashamed that yeah. you're not... How come you yeah. don't know? How come you don't know? And it's like, it's almost as if they came to this country with no context whatsoever about the way the language was spoken mm. here. And there was no allowance made for the fact that two people could be in the same class and have very different linguistic contexts, right? But be oh. taught the same exact syllabus. So it was syllabus. not differentiated at all. It wasn't until like it got to exam time, right? And then the school didn't want to... Oh, then like, they split the ah, people up, right? Because the school ah, yeah, did, yeah, yeah, didn't yeah. want to like fuck up. Ah. So yeah. like they would suddenly put all the bad bad Chinese speakers into one class, right? Probably a very big class. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> I, and so I came from a Catholic school, mine, so it's a lot. <laughs> a lot of like people can't speak Chinese. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. And and then I was just made to feel really shitty about my additionally shitty about myself. Yeah. yeah. I so, understand. But, so but when I got the chance to finally drop Chinese as a subject in JC, right, I dropped it with abandon. Oh my god, I dropped it like yeah. hot coals. Like, like, yeah. I was like, nope. I I regret that I was made to despise a language that later on in life I kind of have a soft spot for. Agree. You know I mean, yeah. I, I, I fully understand. And mm-hmm. I, I understand where you're coming from. That That is my relationship with Malay. But again, la, it's very complicated because of Hindi and Punjabi. My wish is that I, 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 if I could go back and do it all over again, I would have actually asked my parents to just send me to the damn Hindi class. You know, I know it's a pain in the ass. Every Saturday, I need to drive to God knows where. Yeah. But at least I think my relationship to mother tongue would be a little bit more authentic. Now I feel it's very like, <laughs> no, 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 yeah, but at it's least just Malay. You're the kind of person who's driven enough to have later in life gone to re- which I did rehabilitate I, that language. I, I did yeah. go to like Hindi school like in my adult Correct. years Whereas to just learn it. I am not that person. When I went to university, right, and then I had the option to take language class, what did I do? Did I do Chinese? No, I went to learn French. Yeah. What I loved about it was that it was taught in a mix of um, English and French. And as you got higher up along the levels, they mm. they, they insisted harder on making mm. it more French, la, obviously. I understand. Whereas, like, when I was a kid, I was learning Mandarin Chinese basically as a second, maybe even third language, right? Yeah. And it was, but it was not taught that way, you know? It was I very It was very throw you into the deep end of the pool. No, I think that's yeah. it. I think uh, the mother tongue teachers, I think especially the Chinese mother tongue mm. teachers, they come... The, years back like, they come to this country thinking like oh I'm going to teach native Chinese speakers ah, but yes. now do I have to say maybe mm. it's just at the school where I'm teaching um, there's actually English words also used when, when people teach so Chinese they, they, it's bilingual now uh. it's bilingual so if, if let's say the characters are a little bit too difficult mm. the teacher, I, I, I would notice the teacher code switches mm. into English and then she explained but then she will remember they will remember to go back la, into to Mandarin yeah but you see that just, it's, very useful, it's so much more like sane it's very useful right, I wish I wish Chinese had been taught to me that way because yeah. it would have been it would have felt less frightening Agreed. to know that I could I could just ask for help if I needed to yeah 
it, yeah, because yeah. like the, I learned French so quickly because of the way it was taught, mm. you know. And I, I, I think I do have a, a brain for languages, mm. but the way Chinese was taught to me was just so frightening. You know? Yeah, like I still have stress dreams about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my kids tell me about the about their experiences in mother tongue, and even though now it's it's a little bit more facilitative with that code switching and teachers being very very kind and understanding mm. that hey this is actually a, a real second language mm. right they still feel extremely stressed out because we are able to see the use of our mother tongues right mm. um, or of a mother tongue language but the kids now the problem is that they don't see a use for it at all they have grown up in such an, a hyper English medium mm. that even even now if mother tongue is being taught in a very facilitated manner they go like when will I ever use this? Yeah. You know? Although, I, I don't know. I feel like... So, one of the things that our teachers kept saying, right, when we were in school... Oh, China like, superpower. Ah, correct. China is on the rise wall. You better learn. We say ah, it now as yeah. teachers. So, I feel like the, that spectre has only grown larger and more prepossessing as the years have gone by, so, right? Like, yeah. like, there is a real pressing kind of urgency for some people to learn Mandarin Chinese. Yeah, but yeah. then kids come back to me and say like, but these Chinese people are also learning English, so what's the big deal? Yeah. And I go like, you know what, that's that, very that legitimate. Is valid, yeah. That yeah. is very no, legitimate. Actually, <laughs> I think, huh, actually, I think, right, like our generation and all the kids now will be that, it will be that middle generation where actually there will be a mixing and there will be an interfacing with two different languages. But maybe in China becomes like a real superpower. Then we have no yeah. choice. There la. Are, but that, that's not our concern. La. Yeah, la, I think we'll die. La. Yeah, like climate change, that's not our pasta. <laughs> It's like, yeah, our great-grandchildren will have to deal with it. I will have no kids, it's fine. Ah, same, same. It dies with me. Yeah, my, my poor my poor Chinese <laughs> dies with me also, so I'm not going to pass it all. Yeah, so, no need, yeah, no, no need. need, no, need. need. no one's going to have like a grandmother tongue to deal with. Uh, so, Kisha, I thought to demonstrate our relationship with our respective um, state-mandated mother tongues <laughs> that we would uh, do a bit of a uh, mother tongue translation exercise I'm so stressed out are you stressed I'm so stressed out I'm drunk enough to be not stressed when you when you said this right like oh why don't we like when you pitch the idea why don't we like oh translate something I immediately became anxious well this text that we are translating is going to be quite anxiety inducing as well um, <laughs> I have picked for us like the transcript of um <laughs> Anti-mask Karen Remember her? I remember her, the one who was like Where's your badge? Where's your badge? I think her name is Madam Poon Is it, it was Madam Poon? Something like uh, that the Former naval officer or whatever from, from a, Former SAF regular Don't uh, know lah However, however So if you know what you're talking about Kudos uh, <laughs> But we are going to translate um, The following passage Which I shall read in English mm. So that we, people know What so the fuck we're what, talking so about we Because like, I tell you These translations are going to be It's going to be terrible They're going to be like Pre-linguistic <laughs> The passage goes <laughs> like oral exam. Yeah, yeah. If you have no badge, why are you asking me to do something? The woman was heard saying. Who are you representing? When the ambassador introduced herself, the woman replied, That's what you say. I can say I am the police. The ambassador asked once more to please comply with safety measures. However, the woman repeated, But you don't have a badge. She eventually asked, Are you harassing me? Are you creating a sin? She went back to her previous point of having a badge. If you are authority, <laughs> then put on your badge. I said to you, if you have no badge, don't speak to me. She told the other ambassador, you have no right to ask me to do anything. She's not a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's never been more appropriate. Mm, you want to go first, Kishan? Oh my god, I'm so scared. <laughs> okay, okay, I try, I try. Oh mm, my god. Okay, okay. okay mm. good luck, Kishan. Uh, the passage now in Basam Layu. 
Kalau kau tak ada lencana Kenapa kau tanya aku uh, pakai lencana ni? Wanita itu didengar berkata I, I love the differentiation correct, in correct. voice mm. Kau ni siapa? Ha? Kau ni siapa? Uh, apabila uh, safety ambassador uh, introduce Wanita itu kata ah, Kau ni kata kau ni safety ambassador Tapi aku boleh kata aku ni polis <laughs> Safety ambassador Tanya lagi sekali untuk mestilah comply dengan law ni <laughs> Tapi wanita tu berkata Tapi kau ni tak ada lencana ha, Kenapa kau ni kacau dengan aku? Kau ni create scene apa ni? Ini bukan suria tau ah, Kau ni buat apa? Ah. Ah <laughs> uh, then um ah <laughs> uh, then ah uh, wanita itu uh, kembali lagi kepada previous point dia. <laughs> If kau ni uh, nak nak uh, polis-polis authority <laughs> dan kau ni pakailah lencana kau. Uh, <laughs> kalau kau tak ada lencana saya tidak mau cakap dengan kau ni. Ah uh, dan dia kata dengan ambassador lagi lain-lain eh. <laughs> Kau ni tak boleh buat apa-apa dengan aku. Ah, ha. sudah. Ah. <laughs> I love how you transform Antimas Karen into Machi. Machi. And you know what? Like if this Machi said to me, I was like, oh, okay, Machi, you 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 go, It's you okay go. Like, you don't go, wear mask, you're okay. Go in peace, uh, lah. You, you're probably you're probably having a bad day. <laughs> oh my god, that oh was god. so. Str- I'm sweating, lah. I'm sweating was, just listening. That to was that. very stressful. Okay, now I'm very stressed. <laughs> I'm not sure I can do this. Oh no, oh no, oh no. Ah, <coughs> now I will use Chinese translation. If you don't have a badge, you why you call me to do things? That woman was heard. Who represents you? But that ambassador. 但那个ambassador介绍自己，那个女人说：“啊，你这样说而已，我也可以说我是police吗？”嗯，对。那个ambassador又问：“哎，那个ambassador又叫他‘A <笑>他以前去说你为什么敢叫我你是要做个心吗他回到他的<笑><笑> 他又说那个other ambassador。你到底没有right叫我做什么东西？哇，China 
And now it's time for lukewarm takes. Ooh. We're two elder millennials. That's us. Talk about something that's happening in the world today. Oh, and what's on the chopping block, Joel? So, like on my um social media recently, right? Girl. I have been, you know, like I am connected to people in the West because, like, I'm a well-traveled girl. <laughs> And so are you, in fact, right? Yeah. We've been noticing something very interesting, right? Like, Girl, um, yeah. so like people in the UK and the US are coming out of lockdown. Yeah. And it's like know, hibernation uh, has ended. And with like the rollout of the vaccine in that part of the world, people seem to think that the pandemic is over. Yeah. For some reason, la. Yeah. So like, it seems like in these places, right? COVID is over, mm. and it's time to. Yeah. Yes, queen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no. In all in all seriousness, yeah. it really does seem that there is there is a clearer sense of the the West reopening, yeah, and kind of stepping down from like the very severe COVID measures of the past. Exactly, year, right? and people are heading out into clubs. People are heading out into bars. I I and I understand the imp- don't get me wrong. I understand the impetus to want to party because girl, I desperately want yeah. to go out. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I desperately want to do all of that. But I look at it and I go, I cannot help but think, are we all, are they all under, under some collective delusion? Exactly. Yeah. It's, I think what it is for me is the the fact that, okay, we had a period here in Singapore where things opened up, right? In a way. That's right. We could start going back to dining and stuff and everything. Mm. Theatres open, stuff open. But like there were mm. very strict controls Extreme. and measures in place, Extreme, right? Extreme, yeah. And, and, and actually many businesses still not allowed to fully reopen, like nightlife basically, right? For sure. Masks um, on. Masks on everywhere. Every fucking way. And then just to see the way this easing up of measures is happening in that part of the world feels like it looks a lot less disciplined. The reverse version to normalcy is it's what gets to me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, what is happening? Are you sure uh, that this is indeed normal? Are, yeah. you, are you certain that, also that pe- there's no regression? Yeah. And people I've been talking to because I have a lot of meet, uh, professional meetings with people in the UK, right? And yeah. then like, the, every every Zoom meeting starts with, oh, so how are things in Singapore? And then like, it went from like... That sounds f- very positive. Yeah, it went, it went from a few months ago being like, they were just in the doldrums, right? To now, like a very strident note of optimism going like, yeah, indeed. I think we'll be back to normal by June, you know? Um, so like for example in the UK yeah for example in the UK Boris Johnson has kind of like earmarked June 21st as the day the UK will fully reopen and I think even though according to him there is this new variant going around that they're anxious about it like uh, he says I think I was speaking to someone yesterday from the UK who says like he thinks that the UK is on track for the June 21st reopening Um, and it it really seems like optimism or delusion I know but I really think that the rollout of vaccines has really for a lot of people just like categorically um, paved the way for a way out but this seems so alien to our experience here in Singapore, right? Where even a small spike you know, s- relatively small spike here, right? It's causing us so much alarm and we're all going back to hiding. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It- it's so I feel very like, are we living in two different realities here? I feel very gaslit by this situation. And no. I feel like I'm going insane, you know? No, let's take a step back. I think the realities have always been different. Even before pre-COVID, mm. uh, the realities in Singapore have been very different from places like London and any other cities yeah, in, like, yeah, yeah, the, in, yeah. in US. So, uh, of course, it's going to be different all the way, la, but you can't help but feel, I think you put it a little bit gaslit. I feel gaslit. Yeah. I, so I've been starting to ask this question of myself, right? Like, are the measures in Singapore just like extreme to a point that's like not meaningful anymore? Because, so so I, I, I have a difficulty asking that question even because I feel like, I feel very, um, I feel very on board with the measures we are taking. Same. I feel like there is value in this situation to be v- in being very cautious yeah be stringent be, be stringent yeah but at the same time like, and I'm looking at this flip side over there right where like there seems to be no 
organized where 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 the response is very chaotic and people are just like doing whatever willy-nilly I, I, you know yes someone i was talking to yesterday said even during lockdown in in, in U, the uk for example right lots of very fucking like a uh, chaotic shit was happening like like what like parties. like illegal parties yeah, so, yeah i think why am i not surprised someone like? was telling me uh, that in london right if you knew the password you could get into any party. Whatever. Okay, anyway, okay, so whatever. Then, so then, okay, then now that the situation is not that, right? now that the situation has moved along slightly, right, and there, and, and there is perhaps justifiable cause for some optimism, right, then looking at the way the the reversion normalcy is happening, it just feels very, very unhinged. What I am sitting with is pure, unbridled jealousy. jealousy. I'm so jealous. I am so jealous because that's what I want. I, I, I don't know what I'm yearning. And what is it that we're yearning for? Irresponsibility? Are we yearning for... Are we yearning just for... Your unbridled chaos. No, we're yearning for we're yearning for a yesteryear, but we are too. But our government perhaps is hyper responsible. Right. Some might say that 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 we will never have this yet. Right. You know. Yeah. But so see, we are is, sitting with this so lah. This is what gives me a little bit of pause, right? Because like I for the longest time have been very like happy with the situation here in a way as horrible as it is because like I feel somewhat held. Right by 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 the by the stringent measures, I feel held by it. Uh-huh. I felt protected. Uh-huh. I feel safe. Setback is it like pull back? No, I feel safe. Here. Oh, I see. Like just like just very. Oh, held I, in a comfortable way. Held, held. Ah. Yeah, not held back. Held. Right? right. But then recent recent cracks in the veneer have given me a bit of pause. Okay. Right, like specifically with like uh, the control of borders. Yeah. Um, and, and, and things like that, right? Yeah. And then, of course, like the whole like Jade Rasif thing, mm. the DJ who has like exposed uh, a certain kind of crack in the in crack the, in the system, in the system uh, as, mm. as when it comes to like uh, screening and quarantining people coming in from other from other countries in Singapore. And yeah. then obviously, there's a huge kind of controversy around like um, the flow of uh, of people from hotspot countries, you know, even though it was very well known that there was, you know, a second or third massive waves of infection happening in those countries, we just, there were, there were lapses lah. Yeah. Which makes me go like, this seems uncharacteristic of like our super hyper control, very efficient on top of things government. You know Is I mean? it uncharacteristic? I guess the overwhelming like feeling I get from all this is disappointment. No, okay, I'm why? I'm disappointed because like our, like our highly controlled situation here where we give up so many of our liberties and everything right and trust so much of our well-being to a slightly heavy-handed authoritarian set of controls right should be you know should do better than this is what i'm thinking so these 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 slip-ups to me just seem so out of step of this control freak government i don't think so i think that paranoid control is actually felt on the ground it's felt amongst its people it's felt amongst snitch culture especially how the police uh will will handle people who don't wear masks i think it's there that paranoid culture is there but where it is loosened and it's a calibrated risk is when economy comes into question yeah yeah and so a calibrated decision was made to say okay you know what let's allow people from so-and-so countries to yeah. come in because we need to booster this sector of economy and that sector mm. of economy. And, oh, and, and it that, was a calibrated yeah, risk. And in that regard, it is not surprising at all. It is yeah. not. It's because this, this not. country will bend over backwards and do all kinds of circus tricks for this for, for, for this kind of benefit. Yeah, right? yeah. I could, I could, there's always a balance between economic gain and, and other things. Like, and yeah. in this case, those other things and, are safety of its and, people, and, the pandemic. Yeah, and the people who end up paying the worst price are the people who have the least power. 
You know, what it's I mean? always the case. So he's like, sure, let's let in all, let's like, you know, let's keep the borders fairly porous in 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 view of like um economic benefit, but like mm. like it leads to a situation where now we have to shut down huge parts mm. of the of the workforce, mm. and you have you know uh, working class people losing income in a very major way. I mean, I have to say, I, 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 while you say fairly fairly porous, the borders were kept fairly porous. It's actually quite stringent. Now, there are a lot of there are a lot of checks and balances that people who are coming into Singapore during the pandemic times have to right. take quarantine, this and that, this and that. What I think the government did not expect was a mutation in the virus that led to it being more virulent and and, and hard and harder to detect and harder to detect exactly yeah. and. When that happens, then mm. um, someone you thought was going to be okay is now no longer okay and then it's spread in the community. Yeah. Mm. So I guess like, sure, in, an, in a rapidly evolving situation, no point having very fixed feelings about anything. I uh, guess. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I guess like what is slightly irritating then is like the inability for like um, the relevant agencies to just admit that mistakes were made. It's the, it's the mm. in a, you know, it's the inability to just go like, Okay, there were slip ups. I think yesterday over dinner, like the phrase that was thrown, ar- the government phrase that was thrown around was like the virus slipped us by at the border, yeah. which is to my mind the most asinine thing you could say about a virus. It's a microscopic entity, of course. It's like, do you hear me? What, what does it mean to even use language like a virus slipped us by? Yeah, virus is not even a living thing. A by virus the way. does not <laughs> slip you by. Yeah. It, 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 it's like there to, were lapses in yeah, the defense. To put the sentient, yeah. sen- sen- sort of sense on the virus is, yeah, is it's, very it's, but it's very true to our government like, it's like oh it slipped us by yeah you know? I, f- I felt completely gaslit by that I want to know okay so I, I have like you know I am like I am very critical of autocracy and all of that right but I, to my mind it's like if I am fucking living under these conditions right I, you know me I, if I've already like surrendered ah. all of these liberties and all of these like um freedoms in service of Paranoid state control. You I want, want I want the state control to be a lot better than this. Oh. You know what I mean? It's like this is why people get so upset about MRT breakdowns. You know. Well, as Be- I live and breathe, Joe, I never thought you would say this. Joe Tan coming <laughs> out as a closet conservative. <laughs> Hear me out. <laughs> this is why people are so upset about train breakdowns in this country, you know, because it's like you don't say that. Now here I now sound like one of those like the online citizen pundits, <laughs> yeah, right? You do. But it's really like if you are going to say we hire the best people in the world, we pay them these like exorbitant salaries, and we like we 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 we, we claim all of these controls, yeah, and yeah. we and we promise to deliver you this like highly tuned system, like and then you have trains breaking down at the frequency that they do that like, they did. That they did It's very irritating Even <laughs> though like Contextually that's a very different thing But it's like the same sentiment right It's like if you're going to be This like Like you know Like heavy handed about heavy things Heavy handed right? about things right Can you do better It's my point of view right, You know what right, I mean right, right. Okay I, I, And I, I know that's I not that, And I know from. that's not very nuanced But I am very frustrated no, I can see where yeah. you're coming from And it, forget the fact That it's not very nuanced It's very real It's what I think Many Singaporeans are also feeling You yeah. know I, I, I 100% understand that But I think I think what many people also need to remember is that this is a fucking ever-evolving situation. Eh? You know, next week, the situation could be so different. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so yeah, I, th- yeah, yeah. I think we all need to take a step back and go like, uh, this is new for everybody. Yeah. It's new for fucking Correct. everyone. But one thing I think we can agree on is like um, people in London going out to restaurants and clubs without masks on. Please lah. I like- think what it exposes is this complete change or the complete difference in the way we think about the world right. and what the world owes us. Right, you know, I think a lot of people in the Western country go like, "This is the time for us to enjoy the world. This is what we need to do. We need to experience everything." Very hedonistic sometimes. Yeah. But here we don't have that. This is not how the way we think. Enjoyment. No. What the, is that? The that world is, will kill you. Is is enjoyment <laughs> one of the SAF core values? I don't think so. 
care for soldiers is the last SAF core value and that's just a throwaway. I'm so impressed you remember. You know what it is? It's like, okay, like having lived in London for a while, I know that the DNA of that city is pure and utter chaos. So like London is a city without this level of chaos and without this kind of like pursuit of self-interest, it's not a city at all. You know, centres of like, you know, industry and yeah. you know and, and culture such as London and New York for example like are, are found on this kind of like um, messy need to have a good time and of it's course. very it's very like um, young people orientated mm-hmm. right so I can totally see how like and, and you know like when, when, when a city like London is lo- locked down it's the most depressing place to be in the world it's expensive to live yeah. there because rent is so high yep. but you, you know be, the re- and all the reasons that you go to a city like London get cut off during a time like lockdown so I can see why you know there is this release right because otherwise very little justifies being in one of like the like the, the, the coldest cruelest places mm. in, 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 in the western world right so the only way to kind of like add a human uh, dimension to a city like London is to have a good time and, un- and unfortunately that is just out of step with the measures that are required yeah. to keep a pandemic at bay you know and the global sentiments lah because this is not just a virus that is that's gonna uh, that's gonna like stay in one place you know and everybody is affected by this lah yeah and it is also like countries like the UK, rich countries like the UK, right? Like, going into this optimistic overdrive because they have all of this, like, access to vaccines comes off the back of the hoarding of vaccines. Yeah, the inequity that we talked about. Yeah, the inequity of vaccines, right? Which is causing, like, um, a starvation of vaccines in parts of the world where they are urgently needed. On a global level, it basically means that it's going to take even longer for the pandemic to end. What all of this reveals, right, is that, yes, the world is fractured into different realities, and mm. the, 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 these different realities reflect inequities of, of power and inequities of access, access la, and everything yeah. that actually is, 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 is a bit of a shit show, you know? So, like, I think the jealousy that we have, right, is maybe more, like, a front that is, is, is an aff- for me at least, it's an affront that, like, not everybody is playing ball and disciplining themselves mm. as required because this is... A collaborative effort yep. that needs to transcend like um, international borders, right? It's it's just like not okay. It literally is not okay. Yeah. So with that know? jealousy, I also feel a bit of heart pain, la. Ah, you know, when like, I watch this because I know that this is why it's not gonna end. Yeah. So yeah. That, that, I, I mean, I don't know that, but there's this unsettling feeling that that might happen. Yeah. You know. And that, that's why we always say like, oh my god, they're going to go into lockdown in December. They're going to go into lockdown on Christmas again. It just means that this cycle of like you know, open and close, open and close, like some kind of like fish out of water gaping for air, right? It's just going to be a fact of life until we can all sort our shit together and think of like a consolidated response. Yeah, be be a little bit more uh, compassionate yeah. with, with this thing. Oh my God, I'm just so grumpy right now. I know, let's make another drink. Yeah, <sighs> let's make another drink. <laughs> Alright, for our third and final segment, now that everybody is back in Phase 2, Heightened Alert! We thought we'd uh, bring back an old segment called What to Watch at the end of the wow, 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 wow! Because believe it or not, the world is ending. So many times that the world is ending. And you are going to need something to keep you entertained. Definitely! While the world is burning around you. Correct, so we have on offer. (laughs) Yeah, we have on offer like two shows that we see on Netflix recently that we are very enthusiastic about. Maybe like, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm very enthusiastic about them. I don't Uh know, for you it's just middling. It's been a long time since I felt enthusiasm. (laughs) Wow. 
Kisha, this is not the energy the world needs right now. <laughs> I just feel like they're great shows. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're both from Netflix and mm. the first one, comedy series yeah. called Special. Special. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. So yeah. basically, in Special, um, Ryan O'Connell, who plays himself, yeah. A kind of slightly fictionalized version of himself, right? Has, I think so. Yeah, it must sta- be. Yeah. Has started work at well, at some kind of like BuzzFeed adjacent content mm. mill where he's like being hired to write stupid listicles, right? Called Eggwoke. Yeah, it's called Eggwoke. <laughs> it's very funny. It's and terrible. Then, and then basically it follows like his journey at the at, at, at the blog, but then also like his romantic uh liaisons mm. and his friendships and also his the most most Tender for me is his relation, the relationship with his mother. Absolutely, yeah. That one was the one that got to me because yeah, his yeah. mother has been has, uh, brought him up, right, yeah, yeah. With, with cerebral palsy so, and yeah. everything. And, and, so, and so the idea is that they have this like very codependent relationship, exactly. and then like across the series, they learn to let go of each other, yeah, and lead as, independent lives. As Ryan finds his own independence, yeah. she is also trying to navigate yeah, yeah, yeah. her own independence. Yeah, it's yeah. really really lovely. so. Like Kisha and I like binge the first season together mm. uh, over a course of maybe an hour and a half because like a, a, a miraculously, the first season has only the episode. Are only fifteen minutes long. Yeah, eight but episodes of fifteen minutes. But they minutes. each feel so full and complete. Yeah, it's quite. Yeah. It's quite amazing it's writing. Like, like I was just like the the writing is so good that a fifteen minute episode felt like as good as a half an hour. What does that say about all the other shows that we watch? They're too long. Yeah. <laughs> No, but the fifteen. Thank you. The, but the fifteen minute format is very unusual, don't you think? Like I very. It's like you only see fifteen Never minute it format maybe on like web series. No, absolutely, uh, yeah. On abs- but the second season, however, had, then then went back to like the half an hour one. Yeah, half an hour format. Yeah, right? and to be honest, the second season wasn't as exciting as the first. Yeah, but I still did enjoy it. What do you enjoy most about the series? I en- okay. What I enjoy most was. Firstly, the relationship with the mother. Yeah. Okay. His relationship with the mother. I think that was that was very interesting to see. Yeah. But I think it's couched in a much bigger thing that I enjoy, which is the fact that someone, uh, someone living with cerebral palsy is now being put front and center. Right. Not just living with cerebral palsy, cerebral palsy and gay. Yeah. Put front and center in a Netflix series. Right. That was very educational for me. Yes. You know, because I was able to then without asking a very awkward question, just see what, yeah. what it's like, you know? Yeah. It's like Googling. Yeah. It's and like it's Googling, also yeah. not that kind of representation where they're hiring like an able-bodied, huh? neurotypical person to play uh, a, a person living role. with civil, cerebral yeah. palsy. Yeah. Yeah. So like not actually, that. so like actually, there's a lot of granularity in the writing that you wouldn't ordinarily get with these Absolutely. representations. And yeah. actually, one of the things I enjoyed most about the series is actually how the the the, the protagonist who is um you know disabled. Is, does not come across smelling of roses and daisies. He's a no. he's a huge. He is an asshole. In fact, he is from for a huge part of the series. The he first is, season, he was terrible. He's a self-centered, like narcissistic asshole. Yeah, he was not is, kind to his who mother. Is mean to his mother, and actually kind of mean to the people in his life. Yeah. Um. And and kind of like progressively learns why that's not okay. Yeah. He reminded me of yeah. an asshole gay boy. Yeah. Yeah, really. He's like an asshole gay boy with cerebral palsy. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I really love the the this kind of representation where like you're where where just because the 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 person uh, around whom the story is based comes from a minority community doesn't mean that they they're just like Mary Sue's, right? <laughs> yeah, you know? no, it does not. Yeah. Yes. I actually really hate Mary Sue characters. Yeah. You know, like it's the Mary Sue character is like the kind of like um can do no wrong. Absolutely. Kind of character. Very virtuous. Yeah, la. Very virtuous. This, was, this was not that. Yeah. Which was very nice to see because it was an inter- it it is an intersection that is not normally represented on yeah. TV. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So that is definitely a watch. Yeah. And if you are if and you it, if you're it, not sure to, whether you want to watch it, don't worry. Like we said, the first season is 15 minutes. It's an episode. Yeah, it's very so easy. Yeah, it doesn't demand very much of you. No, 
what are you doing at home now? Nothing. And there, are, you know what? There are a lot of hot guys on the show as well. So many attractive people on the series. Like, um, yeah, he's ra- able to really pull in yeah, a lot he has of attractive so people. So much pull, which I think is actually another kind of aspect of the show that uh, is quite challenging. Like, I think it's it is saying right, like, why shouldn't someone with cerebral palsy have pull? Right, he has. Of like, course, yeah. He, he's yeah. very successful in his dating life as well, which I think is very interesting and quite revolutionary for me mm. to 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 see that. Like, he is an asshole. Doesn't wallow in self pity. Not at all. Yeah, I think he's done with it. He's la. done with the self pity. Yeah. He's done with explaining himself. Yeah, and he's just going out there to grab life and men by the balls. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> well done. That highly, highly entertaining. Very good. But then I think the threat that to me was the most compelling was the mother's arc. Yeah. So it's like... Especially in season two mm, where she she really really tried to find her own uh, place in the world. As a woman in her 50s. Yeah. Like making friends for the first time because she spends... You know, the characters like spend so much of her life dedicated to her son and her mother. Yeah. And then now that they've both cut themselves free of her because the mother passes away and then the son moves out. Yeah. You know, how does she eke out like... Life her own herself. space in this world and la. it's so joyous, I joyous I, to watch I yeah. found it very like, like personally very interesting to watch because my own mum mm. is in a similar situation where she's trying to make friends she's trying mm. to find her own place in the world mm. so that was very interesting to see and yeah. it, it gave me some sort of joy to I know this sounds a little bit silly but it gave me some sort of joy to know that that is possible yeah you know yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's also nice like, I guess like in a show that calls itself special and that ostensibly centers around um, a character with disability. It's not just about d- disability. It's mm. it's a very full full blooded show mm-hmm. that takes some very nuanced and uh, 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 loving looks at various various issues. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's just very exciting. Yeah, go yeah. and watch it. Please go and watch special. Yeah, why are you doing special. literally nothing? Watch. Mm. <laughs> what, what else have we been watching on Netflix? So it's this documentary called Islands of Faith which details um, seven stories, I believe, of how different communities in Indonesia live with the, with nature around them and they right. live in a very sustainable way right. with nature around them. Yeah. It was very but, intriguing But more importantly, it's like the way in which their approach to conservation because that's really what it's about, right? It's how these things overlap with their spirituality and their faith. Yeah. That was fantastic. Yeah. I, I, although it got me questioning at the very end of the documentary, like why they decided to go to Indonesia because there are many places in the world where no, but I think where it's because like intersect. to my mind, it's because like Indonesia is a country and like a, a a cluster of like islands, right, with very distinct spiritual practices across its 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 breadth, right, and it's a deeply spiritual place that is where where like the interconnection between the natural world yeah. and spiritual practice are very ancient and you know uh, true well integrated right true. what was beautiful is all of these um, religious communities right put conservation quite at the centre of their spiritual practice yes. so it's actually saying that there are very strong spiritual principles behind conservation and living in balance with nature that was first of all that was very very beautiful and like each um, of these communities demonstrated this in a very beautiful way mm. right um, but then it's also a kind of challenge to the idea that a, a religion looks like this you know? Ah, uh, yes. Es- especially the Abrahamic ones, yeah. are, like what you're saying. And yeah. actually, like the history of religion in Southeast Asia, 
even in our part of the world here in Singapore and on the Malay Peninsula is that like historically they were a lot of these religions were brought here and integrated into you know lo- a pre-existing local cultural mm. context mm-hmm, right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that was just really joyous to watch that 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 you know religion something that I for example have become very suspicious of over the sure. years because of the way it, it, it I see it tends to impose itself has here yeah. been taken in and calibrated in a in a in, in a, its natural surrounding in a, yeah, la, yeah. In, a, in a very um, local context. Yeah. For example, right, like in I think there was a community of Christians in West Papua, right, who uh, had basically the whole story was about how they had like sectioned off a portion of the sea as a reservation, right? So like as a preservation, so people could not go and fish in there. And it was so beautiful. Like so, so the story is about how they were on the cusp of reopening their area so that the women of the community could go there and fish. And it's just nice to see a version of Christianity that seems quite different than the more Protestant ethic type that we see mm. here in Singapore where it's not about wealth accumulation and it's not <laughs> about like uh, prosperity but really about living in sustainable balance with, with nature yeah. is asking God to bless the reopening of a reserve area of sea yeah. so that you can go in and take from it in a sustainable way and then leave it you know and then, and then, and leave, then leave it leave time it, to regenerate and like yeah and I'm just like wow that is beautiful yeah. it's, it's how we are meant to live with yeah, nature it was so inspiring to watch that because it's like you know here in Singapore we have a very uh, the Christianity takes a very different form where it's actually kind of tied in with consumer culture yeah. and capitalism um, so it was just nice to see that there are versions of like the Christian faith that are not like that this is a form you know? of religion that I could get on board with same. to be perfectly honest same yeah. and then I really enjoy also the the the, the, the there's a kind of uh, Balinese Hindu festival um, that, Sepi I think it's called ah, where they practice like a day where they everybody on the island has to do, undergo like a day exactly of rest 24 and hours of rest and silence for nature to regenerate and to give back its spiritual force into itself and yeah. to its people and I you really can't so I, I questioned um, I questioned an Indonesian person about this about what Sepi is about and he says that yeah uh, um, um, during Sepi uh, tourists are warned that this that this festival is going to happen and if you book a hotel room, they will literally say you cannot go out. You need to stay in your hotel room during Sepi. Mm. You're not allowed to switch on television. You're not Aircon. allowed to light a stove. You're not allowed to do all sorts of things. Mm. So I asked, wow, then how do people cook? So what happens is that a whole bunch of cooking actually takes place because it's, I mean, if you think about it, it's literally just 24 hours. Mm. So it's not impossible to survive. La. You know, mm. you can survive without electricity. They cook before, They it? cook before, then they uh. store. La. You know, or, or you eat things that you don't actually need to have yeah. a fire for. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's actually quite 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 simple, I think. Uh, but yeah, tourists are warned that you're not allowed to go out. They're just like, fucking respect it, bitch. Yeah, I hope they do. La. Yeah. No, I've it, never been in Bali during Sapi, to be honest. Yeah. So I've never experienced it. I mean, I just it. like the principle of it. And it feels correct. You know, and actually I've been thinking about this a lot in the context of the pandemic, right? Like what would it literally mean to stop, to build this kind of mandated rest into the into our into our habits, mm. right? Into our into our economy mm. for there to be a mandated day of rest or a week of rest every year, you know, in in in, in whatever economy you live in, where it's just like, okay, Everybody has to stop. And if you do have to work because you perform an essential service, you will be paid two to three times more your salary during that period, right? But everybody has to like, you know, not work and stay in and just like chill. I think in Western world, this this actually exists. It's called the perch. Ah! <laughs> and then you go out and then you kill each hey, other. Why is movie <laughs> la? No, but you see something about the perch, for example, right? Also mm. seems to respond to, I mean, it's a kind of very dark, dark-sided 
version of what we're talking about. Exactly, right? yeah. Like, there's something inherent in the way our economies and societies are run that suggests that a need for a, a day of this kind of this radical, release radical release, yeah. right? Um, there's and, a lot of pent upness in, in everything that yeah, we do, and of course because and of course because like it's an American imagination that dreamt up the purge, right? Like mm. it takes on this very brutal form. But like I love that the the response from the Balinese Hindu version of events is like reclusiveness. It's just like ah retreat, yeah, silence and cessation of activity, exactly. which to me just feels so much more correct, a- accurate, yeah, you know. For the world we live in Yeah Actually yeah. After witnessing Sepi in that documentary right, I mm. actually thought Wouldn't it be nice If I actually went To Bali during Sepi And experienced it For mm. myself And actually did it mm. Because Like you say, There's no actual Opportunity to do it In this country No Yeah 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 lah but anyway, just go and watch this show. I think it is... It, it, uh, when Joel introduced it to me, it's actually an amazing insight yeah. into what is happening and, in I Indonesia. And I mean, apart from like these stories, and there are seven of these, each of them unique and very inspiring in their mm. own way, but like, it's also beautifully shot. Yeah. yeah. So pretty. Leh. So beautiful. Mm. And then also just like a reminder that Indonesia is one of the most beautiful... Gorgeous. One of the most beautiful places Gorgeous. on earth. And we are so lucky to live... So nearby. So nearby. Huh? Yeah. This time we travel together, uh, sis. Mm, please. I want to go when? Bali. I never go Bali before. Leh. When? That is such a good and ironic question. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if we just like jumped on a piece of wood now and just drifted out, we reach there by December. Do you think? I think we will reach the Great Garbage Patch, huh? That's that's more a vibe, lah. Where's the Great Garbage Patch? Around is, is around. there a floating patch of garbage off Singapore? I think there's there's m- there's more than one floating patch of garbage in the entire world. There's like seven. Oh, good grief! <laughs> Imagine if like someone actually went to colonize the Great Garbage Patch. Just put a Singapore flag there. I think I think uh, the UK is looking into this. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dear listeners, we've come to the end of yet another episode of T for Two. Yes, it's episode oh forty-six, God. which means we've crossed the forty-episode threshold. We've and it a as long you time know, ago. <laughs> we've been doing this for more than a year now. Yes, more than a year. Doesn't it feel like? Yeah, it feels like. I, th- I think like we are officially geriatric podcasters at this point. Is it? Is yeah. that where it is? I think we should revise our elder millennial title to geriatric millennial. No, I'm actually really in love with the term elder millennial. Yeah, but yeah. geriatric is more accurate. And apparently it's the correct term. Uh, but fuck it, I'm just going to go with elder millennial. It's a beautiful phrase. Yeah. Mm. We're doing this week after week after week. And like, it's a, it's a compulsion and a pleasure. Yeah. And if I we hope, don't put it yeah. out, like we think like we're doing something wrong, right? Yeah, that we've done someone dirty. Yeah. Yeah. So and and I hope that someone is you, dear listener. <laughs> so either thank you or so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of T42. This has been Joel signing off. And this is Kishan. Bye bye. Bye bye. Always purifying the air, this one.